Hello and welcome to the Sunday Morning Corner Man. The Sunday Morning Corner Man is part of the Cage Side Press Podcast Network. On this episode of the SMC, we discuss the entire UFC 238 card from top to bottom, as well as who's trending up and down. Shocker of the night, not for nothing. And from the notebook, I'll do all of this with the co-host of the SMC, who can be read on SureDog, FanSided, and Cage Side Press, as well as listened to on Between the Links and MMA Yesterday on the Loudmouth MMA Network. He's the great Keith Schilling. Keith, how are you? I'm excellent, brother. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited to talk about this card. I, I found my ass in the Dave and Buster's in Virginia Beach, uh, chopped by myself watching this thing. And I, I kind of, uh, of course, I didn't, you know, I couldn't, I still couldn't do the prelims. I can't keep that. I can't break that tradition. Actually, I did watch the ones that matter, but I will get better at that. That's my goal in my uh, mid-year New Year's resolution for you is to watch more prelims. Yeah, I mean, it's sad that I do the show with a casual fan. <laughs> we have to cover all perspectives. <laughs> All right, Keith, UFC made its way to the Windy City of Chicago, Illinois for the seventh time, the last time the three letters were in the United Center. It was Bobby Knuckles and the Soldier of God on the top of the marquee. Their second fight went to distance, and, and the decision was split by the judges. Also on that card, Kobe Covington got some fake gold put around his waist by busting up Rafael Dos Anjos. Keith, this card is what the kids like to call lit. Actually, I don't know if the kids call it that or not. I, I do know the grown-ups were saying it was stacked. I'm not going to do what I normally do and ask you what you thought of this card going in. Just kidding. Of course I am. Keith, what did you think of this card going in? Uh, to me, this is the hardcore's dream. I mean, everything you want in a card from top to bottom, every, every single fight has something of significance. Other than maybe the Eddie Wineland fight, every fight had something that that in, intrigued me, and even the Wineland Papa fight was a banger. So, I mean, you had two title fights, you had a, a, a run at history, you had a ultimate showdown between Tony Ferguson and Donald Cerrone, you had four fights that could have played number one contender matchups, you had rise in prospects. I mean, you had everything in this card. So, this is the kind of card, and let's be honest, I mean, we, we have a lot of fun on this show, but this is the kind of card like when you're sort of like trudging through these fight nights and these cards where they're just kind of, you know, they owe ESPN a fight and here we are and they maybe maybe it's got a good headliner. This is the payoff for a guy like you. You get a night where everything seems to be something that's that's worthy of your attention, correct? Yeah, I remember I had a couple friends over and right after Grosso and Kovacavich fought, they did a little promo on Munoz and Sterling, you know when you're talking with a friend, you kind of lose track of what's up next. And also, I go, oh, my God, that fight's up next. Holy shit. And, and that was not even midway through the card yet. So that was about the midway point in the card. So, I mean, this, is, this had everything. I agree. So let's get to it. All right, on the main card, Henry Cejudo fought Marlon Reyes. Keith, they say to be the man, you have to beat the man. Well, Henry Cejudo beat the man, TJ Dillashaw. The problem was, the part that he forgot, was the belt has to be on the line. When Cejudo shredded Dillashaw, it was for the 125-pound belt. On Saturday, he got Marlon Magic Moraes for the 135-pound belt. Moraes, who was part of the World Series of Fighting Influx of Champions with Blagoy Ivanov, David Branch, and Justin Gaethje. None of those fighters have shown championship pedigree in the UFC, despite Ivanov and Gaethje fighting like they are ready for the Battle of Winterfell. Tonight was Moraes' chance to show he was ready, and early on, he looked ready. But then Cejudo hit his corner, talked to the great Santino DeFranco, and everything changed. He took the fight to Moraes, started pulling Moraes into a clinch, landing huge knees, found a takedown, and just really broke Marlon. Uh, Keith, tell me what you saw, but let me start by saying that when you have a fighter that, that has the best technique in the division, you'll probably get a champion. 
when you have someone who has the most will in the division, you might get a champion. But when you have a fighter that has both, you got a legend. And that might be what we have in Henry Cejudo. What do you think about the fight? What do you think about all that? I think Henry Cejudo had some really big balls. I mean, the the guy. You know, there's some fans who love his little gimmick. There's some fans that hate his little gimmick. But, man, to challenge his toughness and his guts and his balls, to me, it's crazy. Uh, I thought he was a contender for Fighter of the Year last year. And he is, so far, the hands-down runaway Fighter of the Year this year. Um, I mean, you think of the run he is on going against Demetrius Johnson, beating, you know, it was a very close fight. But, you know, avenging his only loss in MMA to – one of the pound for pound greatest top five fighters of all time had the longest uh, title defenses in UFC history. Pull that win, defends his title against the Bantamweight champion, where most people were picking him on the first ESPN card, knocks him out in like a minute, and then now goes up, goes against Monroe, a guy that and he was the underdog again, and, and pulls off the upset once again. I mean, there's nothing that Henry Studio can't do right now. It's like it's like, man, this is his world, and we're just we're just taking up space in it. Yeah, so something I did differently for this card than before in terms of stats is I, I put the total stats down in terms of punch numbers, I put the takedowns down, but then I did the strike split, meaning how they did round one, round two, round three. And what stood out to me is, and Joe Rogan kept saying this, and, and sometimes the, the commentating team takes a beating for some of the things they say, but I think Rogan was on, you know, and someone said, I can't remember who it was, they brought up, oh, it was the Shane Carver Brock Lesnar fight. But Rogan kept saying, I've never seen someone get handled that way in the first round and then come back and be so dominant in the following rounds. And and the person on Twitter that mentioned the Lesnar Carwell fight was right on the money. But in this fight as well, the strike split for this fight was 16 to 5 Marlon Moraes in the first round. Five strikes for Henry Cejudo in the first round. Right? Let me just tell you he ended with 90. And the fight only went three rounds. So if he started with five and ended with 90, you don't have to be a math whiz to know that it was 38 in the second round and 47 in the third. And, and the, the, the way that he just spread it, like the gap just widened, Keith. So it was 16 to 5 in the first round, then 38 to 31, so he had a slight edge in the second. Then it was 47 to 10 in the third round. And he just broke this kid, man. It took away his will. And I, I'm with you in the – it's just Henry Cejudo's world. We're living in it. Let me, let me jump off for a second just to get your thoughts on this. All the gimmicky stuff, all the cringy stuff, I tweeted last night, boy, that team looked locked in when they were walking to the cage. They, they weren't playing around. Nobody was being cringy. Nobody was, you know, they looked locked in. And I've always thought guys like Conor McGregor, guys like Chael Sonnen, sometimes they talk just to make you underestimate them a little bit and say, maybe this guy's all talk, right? Now, how you can do that after watching what Conor McGregor was doing for a minute and then still underestimate him like you're ready Alvarez, I have no idea. But do you think that Cejudo just, you know, his team, listen, they're, they're in the valley where I am and I've been over there. Those guys like that fun. But do you think any of this is kind of playing a little possum or do you think they're just – they like to have fun. Um, I think they're just having fun. I don't know if it's possum. I, I definitely don't think this is Henry Cejudo's personality. I think they just, I mean, you see him and his corner, man, they're just enjoying, they're just, it's like a big game to them that they're just, and we're just all uh, getting tricked by, by his little gimmick. Um, it reminds me a lot of Kurt Angle. When Kurt Angle came into the uh, WF and he had the, his Olympic gold medals, he always mentioned in every interview. He had these like, you know, stupid sayings and little stupid gimmicks. And I feel like Henry Sudo is just taking that page. Uh, but, man, you are right. I mean, he, he, the way he, he is in sync with his head coach, and he, every time he's talking about him, talking about him being the, you know, the 2019 coach of the year, I mean, he's pumping it. You could see there's a real close-ness uh, to them. And when they gave him – one of his coaches, I can't remember who it was, he said, 
dude, you are sitting in the kicking range. You have to crowd the pocket. He said, yes, I don't know if you caught that. Yeah. They went to that live mic. And when Cejudo made that adjustment, man, I mean, it was, it was like, a, it was like he got a cheat code. Like he finally like, oh, I don't know how to do it. Or like the first time you're riding a bike and you're struggling, you keep putting your foot down. And, and then all of a sudden, finally you understand how to balance it. And next minute you're doing pop wheelies and, and, and skid marks in the driveway. Um, yeah, he was, he really, his coaching staff is, everybody knows their role. Everybody contributes. Like the fact that, that, you know, uh, Eric, I think it's Al, Albaracin knows is his head coach, but then Santino DeFranco is the guy that talks to him in the corner. It just get, says that, listen, they understand that Santino is the voice he needs to hear. And, you know, they're talking based on what the adjustments are. I thought they made amazing adjustments. When I, when I get back to the Valley, I'll be talking to Santino DeFranco. I promise you that for some bonus content for Sunday morning corner, man, just to take us through that, you know, um, there was some, there was some moments too in this fight that, I mean, I don't think we're giving Cejudo enough credit. I know both of us talking about, did you see the pictures of his ankle that yeah. was just days earlier? I mean, you got Kevin Durant. Let's take a look at Kevin Durant for a second. This is a guy that's arguably the best player in the NBA. He's missing the finals because of an ankle injury. He's not going to get kicked in his ankle. He's not going to get stomped on. He's not going to uh, have someone yank on it. He's, I mean, you basically can't touch him. And he's – I don't know people can debate about this, but in my opinion, he's giving the Toronto Raptors a championship by not playing. Right. Henry Cejudo is doing the opposite. Not only is he going to fight with his bust ankle, he's going against a guy who's known for kicks, kicking the legs, and what, and, and guy who's known for power, moving up in weight. I mean, that's incredible. And another thing I just talked to, and, and I sound like a broken record if, over the last 20 years of watching MMA, there's something special about wrestlers. Is my, if, if you can only pick one foundation, it has to be wrestling. Because the practices, if you've ever been to wrestling practice, I don't care how hard you're rolling in jiu-jitsu or boxing, there's nothing like a wrestling practice. It's right. constant running. Jiu-jitsu is all about technique, but they lack explosive. They don't do explosive moves. And boxing, obviously, is a huge dimension that, I mean, the ground game, they don't have the technical aspect of the ground game. Well, you, see the, you see wrestlers learning the other stuff quicker than you see a jiu-jitsu guy learning wrestling or striking, a striker learning ground game. It's just, I mean, you just look at the list of champions over the year, I would say at least 60 or 7 percent of, of wrestlers. Well, and the guys, the guys that don't do well as wrestlers, they tend to deviate from the wrestling mindset and the wrestling, you know, and, and that foundation. And, and to further that, if, if you talk to a guy like Ben Asker, I mean, you watch his, his time when he was on Joe Rogan's podcast, he said he thinks jiu-jitsu schools get it wrong. In terms of the way they drill, they just kind of, you know, hang around a little bit and say, okay, this is the technique we're going to try today, and then we'll roll some. And then he says wrestling, when you're practicing wrestling, it's much more of a, you know, um, system that's gone to a process as opposed to just, eh, what are we going to do today? Yeah. You get introduced to guys that will talk about a light roll. I've never heard wrestlers say, hey, let's have a light wrestling match. Let's have a light wrestling section. That doesn't, just doesn't happen. <laughs> I mean, you go hard, you go explosive. It's, there's never an easy day in the wrestling room. Like you can in other spots. I mean, there's something there's something about it. And if you look at the all-time greatest fighters, I mean, almost all of them come from wrestling backgrounds. And even the guys we don't think about wrestling, a guy like Chuck Liddell, a guy like Demetrius Jones, they still have a background in wrestling. Right. Yeah. Now, obviously, this, obviously, there's exceptions. I'm sure someone listening to this will go, "Oh, Josie Alder wasn't a wrestler," or or, or Anderson Silva wasn't a wrestler. Yeah. Yes, there are exceptions to it. But I'm saying, generally and speaking. Uh, 
uh, is wrestling is, is something about wrestling is special. You have to deal with it. What you, you either are a wrestler or you have to learn to deal with it to be successful in MMA. One or the other. Either you, that's your discipline or you become adept enough at, adept enough at avoiding it. All right, so I was going to save this for later, but let's do it now. Um, let's talk about Scudo moving forward because he's talking about fighting guys who are well out of their uh, – and, and I don't want to say – I mean, some of the guys are out of their prime, but certainly some of the guys just aren't at the top of the division. Like, you know, we got two guys we're going to talk about here shortly who are fighting on the prelims, banging it out, looking amazing for a, for a title shot. And he gets in the cage and starts calling Uriah Faber's name. And I understand, and I tweeted this out myself, that he wants to erase everyone else's legacy by defeating them. And I can respect that. I, I, I don't, I, I can, I don't want to say I can respect it. I understand why he's doing that, right? To leave no doubt. If I beat everybody at the lower weights, then I'm the guy. Um, what do you think about that? And should he be given the opportunity to do that? Should he be given the opportunity? No. What do I think about it? I get it. I mean, it's why Michael Bising was sitting on the sidelines waiting for George St. Pierre instead of taking uh, fights with Robert Whitaker and Yoel Romero. Um, I have a friend, a part of my work, we ride with each other every day, and he asks me questions about MMA all the time. He's casual at best. And he said, oh, I saw Uriah Faber's coming back. He knows who Uriah Faber is. Hmm. He knows who Dominic Cruz is. I don't know if he knows who Cardi Garber is, but we need to talk about a former champion. But those guys drum on. I mean, if, if we're being honest, Henry Cejudo fighting against Uriah Faber at 40 years old and out of it, and I think Uriah Faber's going to get stomped by uh, Ricky Simone. But regardless of that, Henry Cejudo versus Uriah Faber headlining a fight in California where they're both from is going to draw way more pay-per-views than Henry Cejudo headlining against Aljamain Sterling. Yeah, I agree. And so a couple of things I want to talk about real quick. But, but just, just, just for the record, hold on. Okay. I am not saying that he should get the title shot. I, I 100% believe, and we'll, I know we'll get into this later, I 100% believe Aljamain Sterling has earned that title shot and in, in, in should get that title shot next. Just, just, just in case someone only listens to this far into the podcast. <laughs> All right, so um, let's talk a few things about Cejudo. Number one, I would tell people, listen, let's not sleep on this kid. And I, I think because of my proximity to him, I'm going to do some more in-depth uh, content with him coming up soon. But one of the things that people don't know about this guy is he moved around a lot, single mother, parents are from Mexico. Like the part where he – so he went to Maryville High School. Maryville is not – Maryville is where John Morocco went to high school in Phoenix. And John Moraga very much so carries that card carrying. Like everybody sort of believes he's a tough guy. Gangster. It was the same high school. So, I mean, you can't say one guy's tough and not the other. So not that everybody that comes from a high school is tough, but I mean, it's a rough area of Phoenix. So I think that, that much like Oscar De La Hoya, Cejudo is a guy that they just sort of put that golden boy label on. He's kind of corny. He's kind of cringy. And you forget this guy has got some, He's, he's got some mental toughness, man. You don't get to where he's gotten in life without mental toughness. And I, I think that um, that's easily forgotten. And I think that's you why he, he keeps getting underestimated. Yeah, you don't win the Olympics without a mental toughness either. either. Right. You know, he mentions the Olympics and it's, become, it's his gimmick. You know, he's his gimmick. I'm the Olympic gold medalist. It's the Kurt Angle stake. But that still doesn't change the fact that he's going against the best guys in the world and, and was able to mentally break through that and beat the best guys in the world. Right. So, yeah. That's let me something. tell you, listen, he's, he says this a lot, and I know it gets cringy, guys, but let me tell you something. Not many people can ever, when you write the biography of somebody and they've won a gold medal, it's always the first line, right? He's, he's threatening that not being the first line of his Wikipedia, that not being the first line of his. He's almost, in a way, surpassed a gold medal. Most people win a gold medal. That's it. That's all they ever do. That, the, but that's yeah. the biggest thing they ever do. 
No, that that is true. Other than you know, professional basketball players who right. should be in the Olympics, anyways. Uh, how many people can say exactly what you said? That that might not be the biggest moment in his athletic career. That's insane to think that is Olympic. In you know, there's different sports. Obviously, golf, the Olympics isn't as big as Masters, or or in basketball, the Olympics isn't as big as the NBA Finals. But most Olympic non-professional Olympic sports. Yeah, yeah. most Olympic sports. That's as high as he goes. And to yeah. think that is not the highlight of his athletic career. That's insane. Yeah, it might. It might not. Now it's dropping down. You could be putting it at three, four. He keeps going. It might not even get in his top five. That's insane. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if he, if he wins about one forty-five, which he could do. So, all right, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, let's give it the official. Henry Sue defeated Marlon Moraes via third-round TKO, four fifty-one. Let's uh, let Mike Bond help us with a little post-fight facts, just to put a, a ribbon on this thing. Sue became the seventh fighter in UFC history to win titles in two weight classes. BJ Penn, Conor McGregor, Amanda Nunez. Daniel Cormier, George St. Pierre, and Randy Couture also accomplished that feat. Cejudo became the fourth simultaneous two-division champion in UFC history. McGregor, Nunez, and Cormier accomplished that feat. Cejudo achieved the seventh Bantamweight title. Okay, Cejudo was successful in his first Bantamweight fight since December 2014. He's 6-0 at this weight. Cejudo landed at least one takedown against all but one of his UFC fights where he's attempted a takedown. So there you have it. Uh, what else can be said about this guy? Is that pretty much it? He's the best in the world right now. You ready to put him at number one pound for pound? No, no. No, not yet. Oh, I forgot. Listen, listen. we forgot. There's a guy named John Jones still around. Oh, still John uh, Jones. Huh? Listen, I'll tell you right now, I'm not hating on anybody who does. I mean, I still put John Jones. I mean, John Jones has been down this board for 11 years now, I think it is. He's been in the UFC for 11 years and still yeah. hasn't lost, you know, all of that stupid Matt Hamill debacle. He still hasn't lost a fight. But I mean, he, he might be number two. He might he might have surpassing. He might have surpassed Daniel Cormier. Habib. He might have passed those guys. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a tricky one. He's knocking on the door. I mean, it, when when he was talking about the pound for pound stuff, guys like John Jones was kind of like, yeah, okay, they're not even paying attention. They're paying attention to it now. Yeah, it's true. All right, and, and let me tell you something. The more guys win, winning these two belts, now that Henry Cejudo does that. Increases the chances John Jones with the heavyweight, in my opinion. All right, let's move on to the co-main event. That's that's a conversation for another day. And, and, and honestly, we should go back. I mean, remember the last pay-per-view was was Max Holloway losing, going right. after losing. Oh, that's the last one. Or two, two. How? I might have been. That's numbered, I think. Yeah. No, no, that was two ago. What was the last pay-per-view? It wasn't. That was two ago. But anyways, the last time we saw someone attempt to win a title out of a weight class, we saw a huge. Uh, huge issue with with the size difference so just because guys are winning two belts we shouldn't just scoff at that i mean max holloway just showed how difficult it is yeah it's true I was, was, the, was, was the last one was the last pay-per-view the uh oh no that's the same now now what was 237 now i'm i know this is great podcast driving you crazy i don't want to look it up i, I i'm i'm going through the uh weight classes as as quick as I possibly can through my head as we're as we're talking to try to figure out one of the headliner? No, no, no. Let me think let me think about it. It was uh oh it was Andrage. Andrage yeah. and Nami. There you go. I was going through the weight classes through my head. <laughs> I was of course it was thing. like I went well of course I went like heavyweight, light heavyweight. Then down the men's <laughs> and then I went down the females and of course it's the very last weight class. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the co-main event. Keith, I'd love to use this time to dazzle you 
with a well-crafted intro about the lead up to this fight, but I have a rule about intros being longer than fights. So I'll just say I came in saying she was bulletproof and she got shot dead by a left high kick. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, you can wear a bulletproof vest, but they don't have them over the head. There you go. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, I mean, it was actually kind of tough to see. I mean, it, uh, Luke Thomas made made a statement that I thought was really good when he said that Shevchenko is so high above the competition in their weight class right now that no matter what the UFC does, it looks like an absolute mismatch. Like, like Jessica I shouldn't have gotten this title shot. No, she should have. She was the number one contender. She was on a winning streak. There was really no one else to make a claim for the title shot. Like, she deserved it. It's just Shevchenko is so high right now. And the scary thing is, if you think about it, we talk about how technically sound uh, Valentina Shevchenko is striking. And then when you get in the clinch, she does these trips. Juliana Pena found out when you hit the ground, she can submit you. I mean, she's, I mean, she's gone. She's had two very close fights with Menendez, who is the pound for pound best female fighter, a, a two weight class champion herself, a girl who starts Chris Cyborg in what, a minute? Yeah. A girl that, I mean, Chris Cyborg, who seemed like a robot, like inhuman, like a Terminator. She starts her in a minute. Valentina Shevchenko is giving up size to Manny Nunes, had two fights against her, arguably won the second fight. A lot of people believe she should have won that second fight. So she's this unbelievable technical person. She's unbelievable on the ground. She she's, can fight the best in the world and arguably beat them. And now suddenly she's got one shot power. That was like the one thing about her. She wasn't a one punch, one kick, knockout person. Now she has that. I mean, that's scary. I mean, she is – wow. Yeah, like I said, whenever we get these fights, there's not a lot to talk about. So, I mean, let's, let's move it forward then. What's next for her? I mean, what do, what do, you, do you move her weight classes? Do you, do you kind of give her super fights? Like, what, well, what's the play? Well, I mean, to the two of them really – I mean, I don't, I don't want to see her move weight classes. We've, we've seen it. I don't want to see anybody go up. I don't want her to go up. I don't want any of that. What it really comes down to, to me, it's either that you go with Caitlin Chikagan, who won the first prelim, but she's only out of one fight winning streak. The fight she won was very close. A lot of people gave it to – I personally scored it for Calderwood. Or the only other option is do the winner of Liz Carmouche versus um, – oh, what's her name? Uh, Roxanne Modafari. Like, that's your two. And I actually think the winner of Roxanne Modafari and Liz Carmouche, which I think will be Liz Carmouche, makes more sense for a couple of reasons. One, Liz Carmouche would be on a longer, she is on a longer streak, winning streak than Caitlin Chikagian. Two, she's a bigger name than Caitlin Chikagian. I mean, she fought Ronda Rousey for the title. You, you always have that moment where she was looking like she was going to submit Ronda Rousey. Three, she actually has a head to head win over Caitlin Chikagian. And even more, four, she has a head head win over Valentina Shevchenko. She checks all the boxes. I mean, boom, 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 boom. But if Roxanne Matafari wins, you can do the avenging her sister. You know, she gave her sister the loss. You can you can call a Roxanne the Shevchenko killer Matafari or something, and and kind of go that angle. Uh, I mean, it's not the most marketable fight. I don't think any of the three options are. But if I'm making the UFC, that's the, that's the route I'm going. Yeah, and I think also, you know, she's um, – they've been keeping Liz Carmouche around for a while. I mean, obviously, Dana at times can be very loyal to certain people. You know, he was loyal to uh, a lot of the tough season one guys. He's loyal, I think, to Carmouche because she started the whole thing with Ronda. Um, I think that if you want – and listen, you can put Liz Carmouche in the Hall of Fame for whatever reason you want. Though. We've talked about the Hall of Fame many times. You can put her in if you want to put her in. 
But putting that belt around her waist makes it a little bit easier and makes her seeming like a little bit more of a fitting champ, you know, fitting entry, entrant into the Hall of Fame. I think that's a good way to maybe not end her career, but, you know, you've been keeping her around for a while, man. Give her that title shot. And, and you know, obviously she has to get through Ronald Ferry to get it. But I think that makes – if you take all those things into account with the fact that she was the first person to fight Ronda, it all makes a lot of sense for just building stories. Yeah, I'm 100%. I mean, I think it's a better story. Not to mention, she's a more – not that Liz Cumberland is the most exciting player. Kayla's Kagan is boring. She does that key on – I like to say she like, she's shadow boxing. Basically, she does, she does it sometimes even like she's committing to land. She's just trying to do volume to win fights. So, yeah, I actually think uh, Monofari versus Carmouche is the match to do, especially if Carmouche wins. I think that's, a very, that's the most marketable thing you could do. All right, let's move on to the people's main event. Keith Cowdad, Donald Cerrone is on quite a run since his son was born undefeated since the day the young Colt joined the Cerrone stable. Tony Ferguson, for his part, has had a weird couple of years, injuries and some mental and personal stuff, has made the public forget what may be the truest thing about Ferguson. He may be the best lightweight in the world with a pace that is hard to match. Uh, Cerrone did hang early in this one. Uh, the counter jab was sharp, and he, had some, he found some success in the kicking game. But then Ferguson put his foot on the pedal and blew Cowboy's doors off. Keith, the fight ended in controversy on two counts. One, the strike after the bell. And two, Cowboy, you know, blowing his nose and, and blasting his eye out. All of this led to speculation that those two should run it back. Keith, I saw enough in the second round to move on to other matchups. What did you see? Yeah, I mean, I was very – I mean, I understand why people believe – I mean, there's some people out there that think Tony Ferguson should have got disqualified. I mean, she, he landed a punch, hit the nose. A lot of people believe, hey, if, he's, if his nose is full of blood and he's because, – because of possibly a punch from Tony Ferguson after the bell and he blows his nose to get the blood out because he wants to breathe, especially when he gets a guy like Tony Ferguson who's putting up the pressure. You don't want to have – all the possible air going in, and then that all swells up his eye and he can't see, hey, he should be disqualified. Sure. But Tony Ferguson also hit him with 200 punches. <laughs> you know, like, how do you know that was the one punch that really made us swell up? That said, I would 100% okay with if they took a point there. Yeah, even go two points route. I mean, it was really bad. That said, if you're a Donald Cerrone fan, you should be thanking Cerrone for blowing your nose because now you have that out where you can say, oh, we didn't get to see a third round. We don't get to see it. We should have a rematch, blah, 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 blah. I mean, did you think anything was going to be different? If anything, I think the third round was going to be even worse because Cerrone was slowing down, and it was like Ferguson was picking up speed. And it was I think it would have been a really, really scary round. I mean, I think Cerrone has taken enough damage in his ground. I mean, he fights every freaking weekend, it seems like. And yeah. they take shots from Tony Ferguson at that pace. I mean, Tony Ferguson was beating the brakes off him. And it, I feel bad for Ferguson because it really takes away from such a great performance. I mean, this is a guy that was had that major knee surgery like a year ago. He's a guy that was dealing with mental health, which is a real – I'm a police officer in my, in my real profession and something I deal with every day of people with mental health. It's it, Mental health um, issues are, are mental health – problems are just as real as cancer and a lot of people don't realize that until you've been around that people who have it and he had to deal with that and then how you know how many wars he's been in and to put on a performance like that against Donald Trump who's never going heading into the fight had never looked better than he did I mean unbelievable by Tony Ferguson 
Yeah, and, and getting back to the stats, obviously we didn't get the stats with Valentina Shevchenko because there wasn't much to talk about. But let's talk about the stats in this one. 104 strikes for Tony Ferguson uh, to Donald Cerrone, 68. Uh, Cerrone scored a takedown. Uh, Ferguson did not. But here's the split. This is what fascinated me. Round one, 52 strikes for um, Ferguson. Round two, 52 strikes for Ferguson. Here's what impressed me. The percentage was actually higher in the second round. So he was throwing the same amount of successful strikes, but he was getting a little sharper. So I think that really spelled doom for, for Cerrone. It was a lot of uh, – it just felt like – and we talk about this a lot. This is something I always focus on, and we'll get to this in some other fights. But even when Cerrone was doing well, they were still fighting Ferguson's fight. And yeah. you knew it was inevitable that, that Donald just could not keep – like, I, like I'm, I'm saying, unless he catches Tony leaning into something, and that's possible always, but – you know, Ferguson is so like has so much fluidity and so much movement that you really got to be on your game to catch him leaning. You got to luck into something. I hate saying luck punches, but he moves so much. He's not really in one place all that much. He switches stances and he's going forward, and he just throws a lot of funky ass techniques. Man, him and Aljamain Sterling were uh, were very similar, um, and we'll get to this a little bit later. But I wanted the theme of this of this uh, show, and because when we can have themes, um, I'd like to have them. Uh, so the theme of this show for me and the theme of this card a little bit was, and we'll get to this more in the Blagojevich-Ivanov uh, um, fight, but damage versus activity, right? So I, I really think that that Cowboy was, and I mean, obviously Ferguson in the end won the activity war, but I think that Cowboy was very active in the first round. Um, certainly not more active than Tony because nobody's more active than Tony. But I think that, that Ferguson had the, the damage part nailed down so and the reason why i'm bringing this up and, and i'm gonna we're gonna get back to this later is just trying to planning in your mind the whole when you're scoring fights is it damage or is it activity but let's talk about these two moving forward people are talking for Con about connor and cowboy uh ferguson and the winner of khabib and dustin how do you feel about that i'm actually i like that matchmaking for both of them i mean even win or losses that they, they don't really affect Cerrone that much because i mean you can be the biggest Cerrone fan in the world. Not, I don't think there's many people out there who really, truly see him as a future title winner, especially at this point of his career. So him getting a money fight against McGregor, that's fantastic. And McGregor's going to get matched up with someone who's a big name. It's either going to be a rematch with Veeb, which I think is – I'm starting to believe it would probably be what happened, though I hope it's not. A third fight with Nate Diaz or the possibly of Donald Cerrone. If, if, he, if he comes back at all, that's the other option. Um, Tony Ferguson, I mean, he's won, what's it, 12 fights in a row now and, and arguably the best division in in MMA. I mean, the last time he lost a fight was like six years ago. Or so. I'm just making up a date, but it's been forever. Um, I mean, he he definitely if, – if, if, has anybody in history really earned a title shot more convincingly than Tony Ferguson has? I mean, he's won yeah. 12 fights in a row. And I just want to point – you mentioned something in your last thing I just want to I just want to piggyback off it because I really want to stress how important it is. You talked about uh, Cerrone fighting Ferguson's fight, and I couldn't like agree with them all. But he didn't want to fight Tony Ferguson's fight. You just have no choice. He fights at he fights at a pace. I mean, there's a lot of guys who do this. Pedro Munoz did it against Aljamain Sterling, though. Al, even though Aljamain Sterling fought at Pedro Munoz's pace and fought the fight he didn't want to fight, he was able to win it. But uh, Kamaru Usman. You've got to fight at his face. Kobe Covington, you got to fight at his face. He's got to have you got to fight his face. That's why it's so interesting in that matchup. Like whose will can break the other ones? And 
but Tony Ferguson does the same thing, but he takes it to, he takes the pace up to an even higher notch than these guys. Something, I mean, I don't know anybody in history that can fight at the pace that Tony Ferguson. I mean, remember when Kay Velasquez was a heavyweight champion, and that's what they just kept talking about. Yeah. And it, it's just two or three lay. It's it's Tony Ferguson gets punched, and when most guys' reactions to step back and gather himself, it's like he gets punched, and he, and and now he uses it as like an opportunity to rush his opponent and take. Well, while he, well, he's looking at the punch, I'm taking two more, three more steps in on the guy and throwing. And man, and, and a lot of his punches he's throwing, he's not throwing everything on it. He's just keeping it such a high volume. And then when he gets the openings, then he unloads. I mean, it, man, it, it's a pleasure to watch Tony. It's it's when he retires, it's gonna be it's gonna be sad to not see a guy like him perform because he's the way he fights is incredible. Dude, I tweeted it. Uh, last night, that I, I forgot how much I missed watching that guy fight. When he came to the ring, he was walking to the ring. I was like, right, "Yeah, this guy." Like I let, I always had kind of been like, he was the guy for a while. Like you know, not not to steal Eddie Alvarez's nickname, but he was kind of the underground king a little bit. Like he was winning and and doing these great performances, and yet he couldn't get that shot. And he finally gets the interim, and you know he couldn't get. He's supposed to fight Khabib all these times, and it was canceled. It was just, I when he walked to the cage, I was like, you know, he, he's one of those guys that just makes you sit up sit up in your seat. When, he, when Tony Ferguson comes on, it's like, there's a few fighters, and I, you'll recognize this, and I think I've used this analogy with you before. There's this one clip that NFL Films does where it's Randy Moss is on the sidelines and Brett Favre's getting ready to play, and Randy Moss gets up out of off the bench and says, this is Brett Favre. You stand up when Brett Favre's getting ready to go. And he was on the <laughs> other team. He's like, this is Brett Favre right here. That's how I feel about certain fighters, right? This is Tony Ferguson. You, got, you better sit your ass up and pay attention. Because when Tony yeah. Ferguson is fighting, Something's about to happen. All right, I have two questions yeah, for you. He's fun. I mean, he is fun. I have two questions for you. Give me your, your, your first um, gut reaction to these two, these two points I'm about to make. Uh, it felt like Donald Cerrone wanted out, and he knows better than the pose knows. No, I don't believe that. Um, I believe he was mentally breaking, which we've seen it happen. But I thought he, that happened in the Diaz fight. I thought it was happening in other fights. But I, I, I mean, the history of Donald Cerrone, I don't think he wanted out. I, I don't. I just think he was not in the right frame of mind. I believe he was trying to clear. I mean, it's discomforting to have blood in your nose. I think he was just trying to clear passage to get a second win. Um, but no, I don't. No, I don't think he wanted out. Okay, next up, I tweeted this last night. Even Cowboys kid knows you don't blow your nose. I hope when Cerrone explains the way this fight ended to his kid, his kid puts that headset on and just turns away. Does that tweet make me an asshole? Uh, no, no, it's funny. Anything said on Twitter is is taken with a grain of salt. One thing right. I know, I know, we want to move on, but this this fight was just so incredible. yeah. Tony Ferguson, I feel like there's when you're getting guys like Poirier, Conor McGregor, these guys, they're running up the stairs and they're jumping two or three stairs at the time. Yeah, and Tony Ferguson has gotten that treatment. He had to walk one step at a time all the way up, <laughs> like, and it's he's got twelve wins in a row. I mean. I yeah, know. no, I know what you're saying. Some guys, some guys get up, to, get up the staircase faster. And I don't blame the UFC because the, the shit has happened. I mean, they've yeah. given him the title fight. He's gotten hurt. Habib's gotten hurt. I mean, Habib missed weight, or you know, he had to go to the rest of the hospital. Tony tripped over. I mean, there's been a million things. So they've had the opportunity to make that fight. You know, and the problem, Keith, is he's. I want to see it up, again. The problem is he's trying to walk up the stairs on his fucking hands because he's a weirdo. So that's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just go up the stairs like a normal guy. All right, let's talk and about. I hate, and I hate Tony's gimmick. But like, I hate the sunglasses indoors. It's like a pet peeve. I hate sunglasses. I think it's stupid if you wear sunglasses while you're inside. I think you're an idiot. 
the capitalizing each word on Twitter. Yeah, he's got a he's a yeah, weirdo, man. But uh, he can't fight. And it's funny because if you asked me before this fight, did Tony Ferguson beat Habib? I would be like, absolutely not. I am still taking Habib, but I'm starting to do that. Man, can Habib handle Tony's pace? I'm starting to think of that. Like, man, that is. Who knows, man? That's why it's so intriguing. I was so intrigued to see Tony versus Donald because there's so many question marks. That's why I'm so intrigued to see Tony versus Habib. And you know what? I'm just intrigued to see Tony versus Dawson Poirier. I'm not counting Poirier. I don't know if I do it. Don't take yeah. Habib. Don't take Habib. I'm not completely <laughs> counting out. After what Dustin Poirier did to Max Holloway, I, I'm stopped doubting him too. It's tough, you know, when you when you think about the, the Ferguson um, Khabib fight because in my mind, when I think about a fight, I always picture something in my head. Like, what do I think more realistically is going to happen in my mind? Khabib on the ground with Ferguson pounding him, or Khabib on roller skates trying to keep up with Tony's pace. Just like kind of, you know, just trying to figure him out. And I can't get, I can't get my head around it, man. Part of me really feels like it's Khabib on top with those legs controlled, just blasting him and talking shit to him. That's what I feel like. That's what I see in my mind when I close my eyes. But it, I don't know, man. Ferguson, I, even when he's getting popped, he, he gets up. When, when he gets taken down, he gets up in very unique ways, which I think maybe can help him. But because, you know, he does things that are going to be counterintuitive to what Khabib's used to. So – there's a chance there, but I don't know, man. I just yeah, when Randy Couture and Fedor Malenko didn't fight each other, I felt like we'd been ripped off. That was a fight that we had to see from the MMA gods. But I think this one has trumped it. We have to see Tony and Henry fight each other. And, and I don't want it to be on a – at the end of their careers, like we end up getting with Vandalay Silver and Chuck Liddell or, or on an undercard or whether not – I want it when they're the two best guys in the world, they're fighting for a title. Like we need that to happen. <laughs> like, if you could only see one fight, Khabib, GSP, Khabib, Ferguson. I am going Ferguson at this point. Yeah. All right. All right let's move on because the, the next fight was a pretty good one as well. Keith, Peter Yan is now occupying a space that Jimmy Rivera once did. That position is the hardcore fans' favorite bantamweight. However, much like Rivera, Yan is going from the best-kept secret to the next big thing. Keith, I love this fight. I even tweeted, and I, and I want you to follow me on this analogy. It felt like a more efficient version of Cruz Dillashaw in the sense that there was no wasted motion. It was just a lot more, it seemed like Rivera and like a Cruz and Dillashaw sometimes move around and you're like, what are these guys doing? These guys were very efficient with it. Great head movement, switching stances, good scrambles. Keith, y'all showed me a lot in this fight. I knew he could throw hands, but the way he avoided Rivera's hands and his takedown spoke volumes towards his readiness for championship fights. Now, after the fight, Twitter, and I think even in cage, Joe Rogan was talking title fight. Uh, you think you think that this kid's ready for King Henry? What do you think? Um, I mean that's a loaded question. It's do I think he? Do <laughs> that's I, think, all I ask a loaded question. Do I think he could win? Sure. Do I think he would? Mm. I don't know. I'm on the fence. I mean, I'm really high on him. Do you do think he, he's deserving of the fight? No, I think Aljamain Sterling should get it. I mean, okay. Aljamain Sterling already been Aljamain Sterling's been. He's been on a longer run. He's been in the UFC longer. He's kind of paid his dues. He's. Um, it's kind of like a Tony Soprano, Junior Soprano thing. Like, yeah, Tony's the guy, but yeah, get Junior Soprano is dues first. Yeah, I know I'm dating myself. I'm going back a reference from like 2001, season one of Sopranos. But 
Pedro Yan is well. First of all, let's back on the Jimmy Rivera. Jimmy Rivera, I thought he had a really. I mean, for a guy who's been stumbling lately, I thought he had a really good performance, and he was ready, and he had really great moments. I thought for the majority of the fight, he was winning, but Yan has this like it's it's almost like they're running a race, and Yan has this like cheating, and he can hit the turbo button, and then when he hits it, he has like this athleticism to him that's incredible, and that's what won the fight when he he hurt Rivera twice. And his scrambling, I mean, I, we didn't get it enough. But when those two scrambled, Jan was doing crazy stuff. And Jan only has one loss in his career. It was against Mega, Mega Midoff, who is another guy I believe that should be in the UFC. He's really good when they fought each other at Fight Nights Global. And he's already avenged that loss. But their first fight, I actually thought he should have won that one too. And there's some crazy scrambles in that fight. And that was a young Jan. Um, he is fun. Uh, I mean, this is just – that's just, I know I'm like beating – like. I keep repeating myself and beating a dead horse by saying, man, this was fun. That was fun. It was just a fun night of high-level MMA. That's why it's – I don't know what to say, man. Just Jan is fun to watch. He is, and I think that he's – And the thing I like about this fight and the thing I like about a guy like Jan is that he does – he brings a um, – he's not fun in the sense that you don't really know – he's not fun like crazy fun. He's really clean, man. He's really sharp. And I think that he's taking the things that he does well, the things that he, he kind of came into MMA with, and he's expanding upon them. And he's just – he's good at avoiding. You know, he's good at keeping himself, keeping people off him and finding his stuff and, and finding unique ways that the whole, like, you know, I, I kind of put my head to the right and throw the left hook or the left straight. Like, he does a lot of those little things really well that could be um, problematic. Now, I thought going into this fight that the explosiveness – of um, Marais was going to be way too much for Cejudo to, to handle um, at times, and it just kind of went away. Henry just sort of wiped it away. So all the things that, that, Jan, that Jan is, or maybe Aljamain Sterling is, they get wiped away the same way, but I think this kid is really climbing the ladder and, like you said, does deserve a fight. I would love to see the scrambles between these two yeah. with, with, with Cejudo's wrestling and that scrambling of, of Jan. Now, it, as much as we say Jan's a good scrambler, Let's remember, Henry Studo is a Olympic gold medalist. So he's, he's going against guys who can scramble. So, But, yeah, that would be a fun – I would like to see him get maybe one more fight. I actually think him versus Marlon Marais would be a fun fight. I think Jan versus Marais would be, would be a really cool, fun matchup next. Yeah, and it would let us know where we're at, you know, with him. So I think that makes sense. Yeah, maybe you give the, you give the title shot to Aljamain and then Jan gets Marais. That, that makes sense. All right, let's move on to the next fight, and I will intro this fight with a tweet. So you scored Blagoy even off and Ty Tuivasa 30-27 even off. I wrote on Twitter, quote tweeting you, oh, we'll be talking about this on Sunday morning, corner man. You shouldn't be able to look your children in the face or sleep at night if you score this fight 30-27. Keith, I'm going to explain why I wrote that, but I want you to defend your 30-27 and do it with the theme that we have of damage versus activity and um, volume. Because I feel like in this fight, Tuivasa did more damage. Do you agree? And is it a case? Well, I'll, I'll tell you my, where I could have seen a 3027. You tell me how you saw your 3027. No, I mean, I, I defend it like this. There was three rounds. He won all three rounds. That would thus be a 3027 fight. <laughs> I mean, if if 
you say that, I mean, there's MMA decisions. Let's go to MMA decisions. The best, most respected writers. Don't you dare do it because Drake Riggs did that to me. Drake Riggs responded to my tweet by putting all the people up that did 3027s. So I'll beat you to the punch, Mr. Schillen. Okay. Paul Fontaine, Tim Burke, Dane Fox, Adam Martin, Ant Walker, Tyler Therese, they all scored a 3027 as well. I understand. Eight eight out of 14 with 3027. Do you think that. Eight out of 14. So the majority. Yes. Do you think that it is a case of. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think two of us had the more damage. I mean, there was a little trickle of blood going down Ivanov's face, but who was the one who got face planted in the first round? Was he was destroying oh. his legs. I mean, who was the one who almost got knocked out? It Ivanov was getting his legs destroyed. I, I, Ivanov face planted two of us. Fair enough. That's one round though. Yeah, and okay. Then, so. And then he was teeing off on him for the next two rounds. Like the so third I, round, the third round is not debatable. I mean, that was, that was clearly two bosses round. And the first round is not debatable. So, so first of all, the, the, who won the fight is not even debatable. The first and third round is clearly two. I don't know. The only round that was even debatable is the second round. So here's – okay, I'm with you. So here's what I think. I think that although Tui Vasa was effective at times, he was not more effective in any given round than – so when you look at the fight – you can say, man, this guy seems like he's fighting well enough to at least get one of these rounds, but he never did it in any one round fully. Does that make sense? It's, like it's he like never a, owned a round. Yeah, like he, it, it's like it, – like But it seemed like he was in the fight a little bit, didn't it? I mean, I'm not crazy. Well, he was in the fight, yeah. but he's just, just losing the round. I got it. Yeah, but just like a th- I, try, I actually had this same conversation yesterday when someone said, oh, I can't believe – and it wasn't even this fight. I forgot what it was when someone's like, oh, I can't believe someone scored that fight 30-27. So why not? He's like, well, that person did really good. They're like, yeah, that's not what 30-27 means. What 30-27 means is you thought they won the round. A baseball team could score three runs in an inning. That's a great inning in baseball. But if the other team scores four runs, you lost that round. You lost yeah. that inning. And that's basically what happened. Just I, I can have I can I can score a fight 30-27 and still think it's close because I thought that fighter A did a little bit more than fighter B. Let's take him at 30-27. Yeah, and sometimes I fall. Usually when I tweet out a score, I'll say, or usually I'm doing a recap, and I'll say, like whatever website, you know, Sherdog scores at 30-27 for uh, Ivanov, I'll put, but the fight, it was closer than the scorecard looks. Right, yeah, there's a lot lot of of different looking 30 A lot of people interpret it as a blow-off. Well, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, that's true. It's just it's like not all scorecards are equal. Just like I hate when people pull out like numbers. Here's a perfect example. Jan won Jimmy Rivera. I mean, everyone knows that. But if you look at the numbers, strictly off numbers, you think Jimmy Rivera won. It's like when people say, oh, he had more significant strikes. Well, because not all significant strikes are equal. I mean, think about this. If you're, if you're scoring at home, if Jimmy Rivera punches Petrion in the face with one right hand, doesn't rock him, but gets him with a clean right hand, he gets a significant strike. Valentina Shevchenko high kicks Jessica Andrade into freaking oblivion. She gets one one point. Right, on same significant. It's one still one. Thing. It's not equal. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. All right, you've convinced me. Thirty twenty seven. It is. All right. All right. So let's and, then, and this debate was a thirty twenty seven for me. <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like I was in it a little bit. It wasn't blood. All right. So uh, let's move on to the prelims. Uh, let's talk Tatiana Suarez and Nina Ansarov. Uh, it was an unanimous decision for um, Tatiana Suarez. I felt like Suarez was fighting her fight in the first round, and then she – I don't know if she faded or Ansar came on. The fight got closer in the later rounds. Um, did, how did you score it? Did you feel like Ansar at any point was, was in it, or was she kind of just sort of like Suarez was just kind of 
easing off the gas and Ansarov was kind of coming, getting back in it. No, no. Yeah. I mean, she, she clearly lost the first two rounds and she clearly won the third round. I mean, she actually right. hurt her. I and mean, she hurt her with seconds left. Um, so, I mean, it's an easy 29-28 fight. Um, that said, it wasn't a good showing for Tatiana Suarez. Uh, I, I think most people expect Tatiana Suarez to, to run through Nina Ansaroff, and she did. She still has huge holes in her stand-up, which is understandable. Now we can, now we got question marks about her gas tank because she looked like she was breathing hard, slowing down. She talked about a possible neck injury or, or saying she does have a neck injury. She hurt her neck before the fight, hurt it again during the fight. Very well could could be the same. Problem is, there was a lot of people going on Twitter and being like, wow, it, uh, Tatiana Suarez is overrated, this and that. One, I think, answer if it's underrated. Two, she, she just beat the girl that was ranked number three in the world in the UFC. So beating a girl convincingly in 29-28 is still convincing because she won two rounds with no debate. And you're jumping off the bandwagon because she yeah. beat the three girl in the world? Um, what surprised me was in the third round was that Ansarov, she was winning the round, and she seemed like she was okay with just winning that round and being like, hmm, dog, Ansarov had a nice showing, instead of like trying to win the fight at the end. Right. She wasn't being aggressive, and I'm like, why isn't she going? She needs to knock her out. She, and I'm sitting there like, she knows she's, she lost the first two rounds. Like, she has to know she, she put the, the whole round on her back. She knows it. Um, but I, I don't know. Yeah, and you know, I think this is one of those things that, that makes someone uh, on the path to becoming a champion. This is the kind of fight you need where you go against somebody, maybe you underestimate, maybe makes you seem human, maybe, you know, get you a little more humble. Uh, best One of the best tweets that I saw about this fight was um, Greg Rose's team from ESPN said Suarez was only 4 of 13 on takedowns after being 18 of 22 on takedowns in her first four fights. So clearly she was dealing with someone who could handle take, the ass takedown offense. It's not like she went in there, and when you're Tatiana Suarez, and that's your game plan, you're going to go in there and take people down and, and Khabib the shit out of them. I mean, they don't call her whatever it is, Khabib or Tabib for nothing. I mean, she got that nickname because that's what she, wa- she wants to do. And someone comes yeah. in there with a better takedown defense, it, it throws you off. you got to learn how to transition into the next thing. And she's only – I mean, she's 8 no. It's not like she's been fighting. Yeah, but I just want to remind you, four takedowns in a fight <laughs> – that's a lot. If, you, if you're no, a wrestler, I'm talking about her, her percentage. No, no, I know. But I'm saying if you, you're a wrestler yeah. and you get four takedowns in a fight, you're probably going to win. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And here's, another, here's another thing. People are jumping off the Tatiana Suarez bandwagon, and a lot of people are saying, oh, Jessica Rodriguez is going to kill her now, which, which very well might be the case. But just because she had a terrible – not even a terrible performance, but people consider it a bad performance against the answer of. Tyron Woodley had a terrible performance against Kelvin Gaslam where he won a split decision got the title fight and knocked out Robbie Lawler in like a minute. So <laughs> it could be just one bad night. That's and it could be something as serious as she had a neck injury and that affected her. She's claiming that she said she had a numb arm and who knows. The only person who knows that she's telling the truth is herself. That's the only right. And styles make fights. At the end of the day, you got to get sure. the win. You know, John Jones could only be the John Jones that he was against OSP that night, but he still got the win. You know, Chael Sonnen – one of the best things Chelsea has ever said about John Jones is he goes, John Jones had the worst night of his life and he still came away with a belt. Uh-huh. So yeah, that's yeah, who John, John Jones is. John Jones struggled against Ovens de Pure, who still won every still, round. Yeah, still won. Next time he fought, he knocked out Daniel Cormier, the second or third best fighter of all time. Right. So, you, so you, yeah. again, you can't, you can't always look at these performances in a vacuum and you can't always just say, okay, this is an, an indicator. It's, it's something to maybe keep your eye on, but it doesn't mean that she's any less uh, of who she was. Now, with that being said, if we have to give the next title shot to the newly minted Jessica Andrade, uh, do we give it to Tatiana Suarez or do we give it to Michelle Watterson? 
Well, the, the question has already been answered. Dan White said in the press conference that they're not, they're not giving it to Michelle Waterson. He said, like, when someone asked, he's like, oh, who's next? Tatiana Schroeder or Michelle Waterson? He's like, Michelle Waterson? He's like, she doesn't want to fight till September, October. And then he goes, plus, she's, she's ranked too low. Which, to me, I'm actually surprised. If I'm the UFC, I'd go that route. You go with the, you know, the mom, the pretty girl. I'm not saying Miss Waters is pretty good, but you know, a girl who's like a sex symbol, big name. You know, you have a nice story. I would go with that route while still seasoning uh, Tatiana Suarez, give her another fight, get a little more experience. Um, because because the window for Michelle Waterson is, is small, while the window for Tatiana Suarez is big. That's why I would go with uh, Michelle Waterson. I know I'm in the minority there. But don't count out the UFC going with Joanna <laughs> because yeah. she has a win over Jessica Andrade. I don't think they're going to. I think it probably will be Tatiana Suarez. But I wouldn't be shocked if all of a sudden Joanna gets thrown in there. Who do you think is ready for a title shot? Watterson or Suarez? No, I'm not talking about skill. I'm just talking about – well, do you think even mentally, though? Do you think Suarez is ready yeah. for a big mm-hmm. stage? Uh, mentally, Michelle Waters is going to get killed. So it doesn't matter. Jessica Andrade is going to kill her. Mentally, no, I do. I, I mean, it's kind of going the same thing as Henry Shadow. She's she's strong. She's a great wrestler. Um, but it might be. It, it's that said. It still might be that Henry Cejudo who fought Demetri Johnson the first time. Right. Not, yeah. Not the second time. But if she won, that wouldn't shock me either. I mean, she's a special talent. All right, let's move on to another banger of a fight. Aljamain Sterling uh, defeated Pedro Munoz, uh, three round decision, and. Does Sterling look great? I mean, especially early on. Uh, he may have been working with an injury late that sort of changed his game plan up a little bit. But I think – I thought he was on top throughout. He never really – I mean, he just seemed like he was doing some different things in the third than he was in the first. So that may – like I said, he may have been slow. But I thought he looked great throughout. Do you think that – now, you said something earlier that I disagreed with. And I want you to explain to me why you think it. I thought they were fighting Sterling's fight. You thought they were fighting Munoz's fight? I think, yeah, because I don't think I think Sterling wanted to stay on the outside and box, and he yeah. Munoz was just pressuring him the whole time. But though Munoz still struggled to get by the range of Sterling, and, and but Sterling didn't want a high output fight. He didn't want that. He wanted slow picking from the outside. He didn't. He didn't want the, those moments. No, I don't think so. So then, do you think that? that but he was still an incredible performance by Sterling. Right. Exactly. So then, my to question able, is: It's kind of like it's kind of like when Randy Couture get in a slugging match with Chuck Liddell and win, or when John Jones would grapple with a black belt, or like when the guy fights the other person's style and you're like, man, that makes no sense. But they do it anyways and they win. When John, I mean, when John Jones went against Glover Teixeira, everyone said the only chance Glover Teixeira has is getting close and landing one of his big hooks. And John Jones fought in that range the whole time. And we're like, what is he doing? He's beating his ass. That's what he's doing. Yeah, or in the first fight when he out wrestled Cormier, how he yeah. just kind of decided yeah. that I'm trying to make a statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, that I, now now looking at it from that perspective, and I I looked at it like that was Aljamain Sterling's game plan. If it wasn't right, so we can agree to disagree on whether that was game plan or not. Let's let's go with what you're saying, and it wasn't. That makes his performance it, even more impressive. Yeah, I, yeah, that, yeah. If it was, yeah, even more. Like he didn't want to fight that way, but still found a way to fight. Was able to fight at an insane pace. Land shots. The one thing about Aljamain Sterling, go back to when he remember when he lost to Brian Caraway? Mm-hmm. He was kind of like we started thinking about him like a busted prospect. He was yeah. like yep. he was a good wrestler, but not a great wrestler, a good grappler, but not a great grappler. He had long range, but he had kicks. He didn't know how to use his boxing. He, 
now, man, he's picking people apart from the outside. He's got a good grappling. And, and I know we talked for like 20 minutes about how great uh, Cejudo looks. I think Sterling's a very good challenge because of the size difference. Remember, yeah. Cejudo's a small uh, weight now, and Sterling is big, huge, long-range arms. I mean, we saw in the first round how he struggled. Cejudo struggled with Marais' size. Now you've got a guy Sterling who's even bigger. It's a very intriguing matchup. Well, I mean, I Cejudo, I, I would expect to come in favored, but uh, I can see a lot of people putting money on Sterling when they kind of look at that range and, and the improvements he keeps making. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. It, it seems to me like he kind of was, because I remember that as well, the Caraway fight, and it was kind of at a time when we'd already made up our mind about Caraway, and we kind of were looking at the Longo Serra group as, okay, so there's Weidman, and then there's Iaquinta, and then there's, uh, oh, God, who's the goofy kid that hangs out with Weidman all the time? Volante. Uh, yeah. And I remember when that fight happened, I said, well, maybe it's closer to Volante than yeah. he is to yeah. Iaquinta. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, where's Aljamain Sterling going to fall? Is he going to go towards the Weidman, Iaquinta side of things? Or maybe he's going to be a you know, top 10 guy, top 5 guy? Or is he going to go towards the Volante side of things? And when he lost that fight, I was like, ah, oh, looks like he's going to be on the Volante side of things. But now he's, he's come back, turned himself around. Let me ask you a question. Is there any chance that Aljamain Sterling and Tony Ferguson uh, just happened to drink out of the same glass of water this week? Because he was fighting the Ferguson, like, kicks with the punches, the funky yeah. elbows. I was like, oh, I like his output. Very, being cre- creative, yeah. It was very much up, keeping Munoz off balance and kind of not knowing what was coming next. And it was – that's what I think – there's just a lot to this performance that, that really made me think he could be trouble – for uh, the fact that he kept sticking that right hand in Munoz's face. And that, and that sort of is like – there's a lot of different things. You know, when I talk to guys who don't – like you, the same as you, when I talk to guys about why fighters do certain things, right, and, why, and what, why does that matter, right? And I talked to a buddy of mine one time, and he said, why do they kick the inside leg? And I said, because they got to keep resetting. They can't, be, they can't throw punches if they keep getting their legs opened up. they got to keep resetting. And same thing with, like, you know, why, why is the jab so effective? The jab's so effective because it takes you out of your pace and timing. Well, the number, right. reason, the number reason why they kick the legs because it hurts. Yeah, it does. <laughs> right. But it, it, but you, that's but, your power. It's yeah. A, but yeah, no, you're right. It, it, it changes your rhythm. It changes your – you're starting to get in. You want to set, boom. Get, okay, reset. Yeah. Yeah, right. right 100%. So, so, but I just thought that that's what Sterling kept doing, man. It was a very Tony Ferguson, Nick Diaz kind of, I just am touching you. I'm yeah, just going to touch you this whole fight. Yeah, so Munoz was coming at him with a high pace, but he could never get truly into where he wanted because Sterling, he had to keep reacting to Sterling's punches. Dude, and, and for his part, Munoz put out 105 punches. I mean, landed 105 punches. How's he yeah. throwing? 174. In three rounds. That's insane. 170. Yeah, that's insane. Rounds. Yeah, that's right. insane. 48. And, and the best part is he kept him – even though we thought, you know, maybe he was banged up, the, the commentating team said that maybe Munoz got to his leg. Um, listen to this. 48 in the first round, 62 in the second round, 64 in the third round. So his output was even increasing. So, I mean, listen, I'm with you. I think the kid has to get Cejudo next. I think that Henry Cejudo is going gonna, is gonna to hold those belts over the UFC's head. He might get stripped of one in the process of looking for a big money fight because, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Sterling is benefited by the fact that Dana White, uh, Matt Serra has Dana White's ear. So there's a, a few ways for Sterling to get in. Now that he's earned it, like now that he's shown that he can do yeah. it, but you know, I think Suhudo's really going to try for those big fights. I really hope so. I I hope Suhudo 
does not go the route of Bisbing where he's calling for the big fights and then holding, sitting on the sidelines. I'm hoping he's more of the Tyron Woodley where he's calling for the big fights, but he's still defended anyways. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping happens to Sulu. You because know I, There's not a lot of people that get so excited for Naljameen Sterling Cejudo matchup. I don't think that's a very sexy matchup. But if you like stylistic clashes, to me, it's a really fun one. Yeah, and you because know what? Because it's question marks. Yeah. I love fights. I love fights when you go in and there's question marks and you don't know the answer. To me, that's fascinating. When you walk in and you go, man, how is Cejudo going to deal with the, the range of Sterling? I, I mean, Sterling, that's – I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Or – how, how is Sterling going to deal with Cejudo if he gets inside? Yeah, I, I agree. Know. I don't know. I think – The speed. Cejudo's going to have a huge speed advantage. That's true. How is Sterling going to deal with that? I don't know. <laughs> that's why I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it makes it definitely makes for an interesting interesting fight. I, I just hope that Cejudo doesn't – You know, I, I, I either tweeted this or wrote a piece about it a while ago where it was these guys were bothering me that would call for the best fighter. Tyrone Woodley did this. When he was going for the belt, he said the guy who's most deserving should get it. And the second he got the belt, it became about big money fights. And, and it's funny, and I think Kamaru Usman kind of did this a little bit too. Once the guys get the belt, now it's time to get the knee cleaned up. Now it's time to make sure the shoulder's good. Everybody wants to get this, this not totally necessary surgeries once they have the belt. And I get it. You want to keep the belt for a little bit. You don't want to be the guy that has the shortest title reign of all time. But still, man, you got, you got to respect the process, the path that you had to walk to get to that belt. You need to let somebody else walk it. And, yeah. and I hope that they let Aljamain Sterling walk that path. Yeah, there's, there's a – well, one reason I think that happens to it, when you're contending and you're moving up the ranks, you don't fight for a while. You kind of get forgotten about. And it's a race, and people stop passing you. But when you're the champion, you're the pace car. You're in front of that pace car, and you could be injured. No one's passing you. Yeah. <laughs> you're the champion. You can't be forgotten about. If you're a challenger, you can be forgotten about. I mean, do you remember when TJ Grant earned a title fight? And he was supposed yep. to stand, And yeah. then he got injured and forgotten about. I mean, you say TJ Grant to most MMA fans. They don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah. Who's the guy that was going to fight for the title? He was, yeah, he was right there. How about Eric Koch? Another guy was going to fight for the title. Yep. Got injured, forgot about him. That's true. Hopefully, it doesn't have the knowledge made Sterling. Hopefully, he gets his shot. All right, let's move on. Let's get out of here. Uh, let's get through these uh, quickly. Alexa Grasso defeated Carolina Kovalevich uh, by three round decision. What'd you see in this one? Uh, I mean, just Grasso was just quicker. I mean, she's younger. You can see it. The, the dent. I mean, Carolina has fought in Yoan Jacek, Claudia Gadelia, Jessica Andrade. She's killed. She's fought the killers. Bros Nama Yunus. I mean, she's been on a murder's row of fighters, and I feel it looks like it's caught up to her. Especially that Jessica Andrade's knockout. Alessa Grasso was just so much faster, and there's a lot, a lot of defensive uh, issues with uh, Kovacevich and Grasso just picked apart. Really, really nice performance from Alessa Grasso. I think that uh, Kovacevich has lost it, and I think that she's a fighter that you can use now if you're the promotion to make. Guys like you and I think that when someone beats her, it's, it's they've accomplished something. And maybe it doesn't mean shit anymore. It used to mean something. I don't know if it means the same anymore now. Because now now when I watch her, I'm watching her much much closer. Well, Is she lost it? Or are these girls really just getting good? Yeah, I mean, how about the girl that just beat Angela Hill? Uh, Yon Zanon, obviously her name. I, I would say her name wrong. But she's looking for, you know, she's just on the cusp outside the top 15. She needs uh, to springboard off her name. Her versus Caroline, they're on the same fight schedule now. They both fought the same night. Perfect. Yep, there you go. So that, just in there you go. That's another girl, another way to get a girl moving up the rankings by by 
fighting his name. She's, she's full-on gatekeeper now. I think she's probably gatekeeping the top ten. All right, let's talk about Calvin Qatar uh, knocking out Ricardo Lamas. Uh, I, could, I could make the same statement about Ricardo Lamas that I just made about Carolyn Colquitt, this guy was fighting for belts, it seems like, two, three years ago, and now he's, you know, the bully is getting bullied. So um, what happened? Just looked like a passive of the torch fight to me. I mean, Calvin Cater. Calvin Cater, one, he's huge for featherweight. I mean, he, they look like they were – look like a featherweight fight in a, like, welterweight or middleweight. Like, Calvin Cater's huge. His, his technical boxing is as sharp as it comes. Jab, power punches, his feints. But this was a guy, he came up in the scene that I'm really – he's come from New England. He came up in the same scene. I've been watching him way before he was in the UFC. And he was a guy that I, ne- I never saw as a UFC-level talent, never mind being a contender. Boy, I was way wrong. He, when he decided to quit his job and become a full-time fighter, it has done wonders for that guy. And he is legit – he's a threat to a lot of guys in that division. Yeah, and when you look at his um... – Resume, I mean, you see a lot of guys that we talk about on these on these shows we do when they win. Right? Andre Feely, Shane Burgos we were just talking about, beat him. Uh, Chris Fishgold, now Ricardo Lamas. So he's putting together a nice little, you know, top 20 resume of beating guys that, that, that have names and the guys that follow a little bit closer know and that maybe the fifth, top 15, top 10 fights uh, are coming up next. Ricardo Lamas. Yeah, he should get, he, I mean, he definitely should get a top 50. I mean, who? I don't know, but he definitely – I mean, I – you know what? Now you got my interest. I'm gonna look real quick to see who's available and what I think would be a nice step, like a nice matchup for him. It's kind of crazy because you know, with with Lamas being five eight, him being five eleven for featherweights. You know, like you said, this is a big, is a big fight, big featherweight um, fight. You know, you yeah. don't typically see guys as big in this weight class. I mean, I mean, I mean Jeremy Stevens is available. I wouldn't mind that matchup. Yeah, yeah, you know what? They just so his breaking news that there's coming to Boston at the end. I don't know what kind of card, how big it's. I don't know if it's a pay per view. If it's a pay per view, obviously Calvin Cater. But if it's a fight night, Calvin Cater versus Yair Rodriguez in Boston, where he's from, main event. Sign me up. Yeah, that'd be a good fight. I like that. I like that to be a co-main though. Get some eyes on it. I don't know if they could carry that. I mean, Yair. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm with you. I'd like to. I'd like to see him fight at home because to me, a co-main event is like. Sorry, they put they make make him be versus Tony's main event. Done. Make him, yep. Make him the highest uh, on the card that's from the city. Local, yeah, yeah. Make him the highest Boston guy on the card. I like that. All right, let's move on to. Uh, you just talked about the Zon. Um, Yon Yon Jazan. Yeah, he's on. I don't know. Angela Hill. So we'll move on from that one to. She just looked good. I mean, she was just she was throwing four or five punches for everyone. She, I love her counter boxing. I mean, it was clean. I mean, she anytime Hale made a mistake, she punished her. Really, really fun. Um, yeah, that's it. Darren Stewart defeated uh, Von Lewis by three round decision. What you see in this one? One hundred eighty-five pounds. Uh, to me, this is the only fight that was a boring fight. Uh, Bevan Lewis was a guy that was getting John Jones comparisons when he first joined the UFC, um, and he struggled against Darren Stewart. Um, I think he was beating the piss out of Uriah Hall before he got knocked out. And getting his UFC debut against a guy like Uriah Hall, top 15, top 20 guy, huge. Man, that's a tough, tough matchup. He's, he's winning with flying calls late in the third round. He gets knocked out, and I believe that made him gun-shy in this fight, that he gave way too much respect to Darren Stewart's power. 
Um, and he really, well, I'm surprised at how bad he struggled to wrestling. Darren Suda got taken down seven times by Edmund Shabazian, who's not known for his wrestling. So that really surprised me. I think Stewart made some good adjustments and improved, but Bevan Lewis, I'm not completely giving up on him, especially after what we just talked about. Aljamain Sterling looked like a bust. But uh, not a good start. He's 0-2 in the UFC. That's not a good start. All right, the great Eddie Wineland defeated uh, Grigorly Popoff, a TKO in the second round. How about this one? Yeah, man, that's just a rock second one, and, and Wineland had more power. Very fun fight. If, I mean, it doesn't do a lot for the rankings or anything like that, but if you just want to watch two guys beat each other up, this is a good one. Talked earlier about Caitlin uh, Chikajian defeating Joanne Calderwood. You said you had it for Calderwood. Um, how, I'm, how okay. You- I'm okay with Chikajian uh, getting it. It was a close fight. But I personally scored it for Calderwood. But. All right, let's move on to the fun stuff. Let's start with trending up, trending down. I had trending up Valentina Shevchenko. And for obvious reasons, big head kick, big high viz. Uh, anytime that you're so impressive that they really got to scratch their heads as to who, who's next for you, you're trending like off the charts. Trending down, I put Carolina Kolkiewicz just because, you know, I thought we had something in her, maybe a championship-level fighter once upon a time, and she seems now to be just sort of falling down the ladder and, and grasping for rungs as she falls. So uh, what would you have trending up? Yeah, so um, I cheated because it was a pay-per-view. I had a lot of being very good. I, I agree with Valentin Shevchenko. I'm Ten Rasudo, how can you not? Uh, Tony Ferguson, his performance, I still he's trending up. Aljamain Sterling, uh, I mean, he probably earned a title fight. Alexa Grosso, I mean, she was a person that a lot of people were starting to doubt, got the biggest win of her career. And then Calvin Cater, I mean, he, he showed that he's a contender. Trending down, I obviously I agree with you on, on Carolina. She's lost three fights in a row. And Bevin Lewis, I mean, this is a guy that was a big you – know, should it was supposed to be a big favorite. The line changed a lot. But a lot of people expected this guy to be a contender, and now he's losing to Darren Stewart. Not a good look. I was moving on to Not For Nothing. Uh, I cheated on Not For Nothing. I, yeah, I used a couple that I tweeted. So um, here's my Not For Nothing. Not I, have for a nothing. Lot. I have a lot for Not For Nothing. <laughs> well, good, because I only have two. All right, not, let's start Not For Nothing. But, hey, UFC, can we wait until a fighter regains consciousness before we run the replay with the audio turned up? I mean, this girl is out like a yes. light. We don't yeah. even know what's happening with her. And you're like, guys, listen to this kick. That was like she got hit with a bat. Jesus man Can we let this girl wake up All right, not for nothing but if I'm Henry Cejudo I don't even take Nikki Bella's calls anymore You shot your shot she curved you Now you're the double champ you have to move on to someone Like like maybe an actress in Hollywood Get yourself a Kardashian She Uh, tweeted at him again yeah, well, here's the tweet that I put out there, dude. Because I, I kind of thought that it was, you know, this is this is Henry's Henry's time. Well, well, let me give you my not for nothing. Let me just give you this one because it's related to Mickey Bell. My my not for nothing, Mickey Bell. The guy's a double champ. Stop teasing him. Either give him some or I'll move on. That's funny. So so hold on. Let me see if I can find my. Uh... No, go ahead with yours, and I'll take. All right, you. I'll do some while you're looking it up. All right, uh, UFC, not for nothing. Don't be, don't be leading the gay pride uh, slogan of the month and all that, and then have your biggest stars like Connor and Khabib say anti-gay things, and then have have association with Ramazan Kadyrov, who is a dictator in Dagestan, who's actually killed gay people. Like, don't be pretending like you're the friend of the gay people, and then support something like that. Like, take a, take a stand. Uh, not for nothing, UFC. If you're going to put a Diego Sanchez fight in the UFC in the UFC Hall of Fame, why don't you put his best fight in the UFC Hall of Fame? His fight against Gilbert Melendez, uh, not for nothing. 
can we stop comparing Bevan Lewis to John Jones? Bevan Lewis has been in the UFC for six months. He already has two losses, which is more than John Jones, who's been in the UFC for 11 years. <laughs> uh, not for nothing. Joe Rogan learned some tact, brother. When Eddie Wineland is talking about his mother uh, battling cancer or when Calvin Cater talks about uh, struggles of his friends that, with addiction and, and his friend passing away from addiction – don't go. Don't say awesome when, when Eddie Wineland's in, and then just go. Don't go. Nice performance. At least say, well said, something like that. Come on. Uh, not for nothing. Can we get Rob Font some floor seats? The guy's never ranked number twelfth in the world. He's up in the <laughs> Calvin Cater had to jump at the stands and say hi to his buddy who's ranked number twelve in the world. Uh, not for nothing. The guy who runs the ESPN production, when you do a close-up of Carolina Kovacic, you have to wait for her to wink. If you are the person that makes them switch the camera, you should be fired because that we, all of us at home are waiting for her big wink. Uh, not for nothing. Aljamain Sterling, if you get the Henry Cejudo fight, do not call him Henry Cejudo. Let, let Cejudo be the cringy one. Don't, don't be cringy yourself. Uh, not for nothing. Referees. If a guy throws a late punch, take a point from it. Tony Ferguson should at least get his point taken away. And not for nothing, Henry Suho, what are you doing calling out Cody Garbrandt, who's lost three fights in a row? Uh, Dominic Cruz, who's hurt, hasn't won a fight since Ronda Rousey was still in the UFC. And, and calling out Uriah Faber, who's 40 years old and just lost a grappling match to a 17-year-old. That's all I got. <laughs> No, that's that's all great. So here's here's the tweet I put out. I said, if I'm Henry, if I'm Cejudo, I don't even answer Nikki Bella's calls. Wow. I say bring, I say bring your sister or don't even show. Yeah. I got two belts, one for each of you. Yeah, that's right. I got two belts, bring both sisters. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing I, I, I was gonna put because we haven't been doing a lot of uh, talk that shit lately, but I like what um, what uh, Aljamain said in the post fight. This is what he said. He goes, "I'm tired of you guys sleeping on me. You can't stop a star from shining." And then Joe Rogan said, "Did you have any problems with the uh, with the kicks of Pedro Munoz?" And Aljamain Sterling said, "I got some skinny ass legs, Joe. Black people problems." Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "All right." I, I didn't um, know black people had skinny legs. But I, I guess so, according to Aljamain Sterling. All right, know. let's go to shocker of the night. My shocker of the night, sticking with Aljamain Sterling, was just how he performed. I mean, I thought Pedro Munoz was a world beater last time I saw him fight, and although I think that he fought better than the commentators made it seem. Uh, it was Aljamain Sterling's fight. It was Aljamain Sterling's night. I think he looks really sharp, and I think that he showed – like, he truly earned a title shot tonight. He really went in there and showed something unique. He battled some adversity. So, but my, but and despite what I've thought about him in the past or all his – I just didn't know he had that type of performance capable. I didn't know he was capable of that type of performance, especially against Pedro Munoz. Yeah, my shocker, I, w I thought it was going to be Bevan Lewis, how bad he looked. I had that written down on the list the whole time, but until he got to the co-main event, I don't think I mean, we all picked Shevchenko to win, but I don't think anybody expected it to be a one-kick knock Jessica in the eye's head off. So my shocker of the night is uh, Valentin Shevchenko's high kick. Okay. All right, let's move on to from the notebook. So I, so I, again, I was at David Buster, so I didn't get a lot of the commentary. I heard it, but I couldn't like really get, dig into it. But I want to talk to you about this. I got three for it. Okay, good. Dana White and his relationship with the media. He seems to be using Aaron Bronister as his new Canadian whipping boy now that Ariel is above the law over at, at UFC, uh, over at ESPN. Also, I, I'm wondering how long this Schmoes gimmick is going to – play with Dana until it gets old. He seems like he's getting a little testier with him oh, in the uh, in the it. in the press conferences. Here's some here's some uh, advice for the schmo 
which I'm sure he's not listening for my advice. But I think his move is, from what I understand, he's dating Helen Yee. So I think she should be the serious one, and he should still stick with the gimmick because I think he's going to reach a point where he's trying to do both. Where he's because when he goes to gyms, that schmo shit works. But in press conferences, I don't know, man. You're getting guys that either just fought or they're not 100% sure. Like, it just gets funky. And they don't know if they're dealing with this guy they know who's running this gimmick or a fan. Yeah. I just think that he needs, to, he needs to figure out what he wants to do. And if he's doing these short videos, it works. But I think if he tries to go to press conferences, he might, he might lose his gimmick. Uh, hit me with yours. Um, I had DC talking about uh, the Lewis Stewart fight, and, they, and he was saying that they were playing patty cake instead of fighting. I enjoyed that. Uh, <laughs> Joe, um, Joe Rogan blasting Carolina Kovacavich boxing coach, basically saying she needs to find a boxing coach. I thought that was pretty cool. And DC uh, dissing himself when he talked about high kicks when when Jessica and I got knocked out. He goes, "Listen, man," I, he said something like. I know when you drop your hands, she's not blasting your body. I know that thing of dropping your hands, you get blast body, get hit in a high kick. I've been there. <laughs> I'm making a joke about it. Good for him. So those are, those are the three best moments I thought for those guys. All right, and you you uh, asked for and I delivered. Here's the here's the the new segment that Keith wants, and I'm gonna tentatively tentatively call it. Sean needs to see you in his office. Sean needs to see you in his office. Is our segment about who may lose their spot on the UFC roster based on the way they perform. No, so let's give it a proper introduction. Okay, Keith, the new segment we are looking to do this week is Sean needs to see you in his office. That's where we discuss who may be leaving the promotion based on their performance on this night. And let me just say with the cutting of Elias Theodoro and Justin Willis, the criteria has changed for who gets kept, who gets to keep that roster spot and who loses it. So let's get into it based on what you saw tonight. Who does Sean need to see in his office, Keith? Okay, so this is the worst time to start it. I don't think anybody gets cut, personally. Wow. But if because it was such a high card, it's so much talent, more stacked than usual, that's probably why. But the person who is most likely is either Bevan Lewis, who I still don't because of the, because of the John Joseph, but it might be Ricardo Lamas, who's on a, lo- a big losing streak right now. They might, they might cut Ricardo Lamas. I'm with you on Lamas. Uh, I would also maybe say Carolina, but I think she has too much value. And she's good looking. Yeah. Which they she has too go. much value to, 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 to bring up other fighters, and there's not a lot of great women fighters she in the world. She didn't get starch. It was still a fun fight. She yeah. had moments. Ricardo Lamas might want might to get his resume updated. Maybe. All right. Let's talk about um, – so before we hit the – before we let you go, let's talk about the particulars on the night. UFC 238 featured a total of – 1,818 significant strikes landed a new single event record. Ooh. UFC 231 held the previous high with 1,647. The UFC promotional guidelines compliance play- payout for the event was th- uh, $300,500. Cejudo, Shevchenko, Tony Ferguson, and Donald Cerrone earned $50,000 fight bonuses. Debuting fighters went 0-1 on the card. UFC 238 drew an announced attendance of 16000 83 for a live gain of $2,034,387. Betting favorites went 9-4 and four on the card. Betting favorites fell to 7-11 and 11 in UFC headliners this year. The total fight time for the 13-bout card was 2 hours, 44 minutes, and 10 seconds. Now, that's fight time. Um, but I think under 3 hours, you're doing good. So most of them have been coming in under 3 hours. As, as long as you start at a reasonable time, not have it. <laughs> 
not having the main event starting at quarter of one in the East Coast. I'm sorry. You just you got to learn from the other sports and cater to the East Coast. Ooh, that should have been my not for nothing. And if you're European, stop complaining. I you should be agreeing with me. If we move the time up for the East Coast, that would still move your time up. It would still suck. But stop fighting with the East Coast people and get on the same page. It would still help you a little bit. Uh, so listen, I, I just told you I'm in Virginia Beach um, for this card. I tweeted about it. I was out at 1:30 at night watching the main event, and um, that's you know I live in Phoenix, so that's that's odd yeah. for me. I love I, the way it's set up because I live in Phoenix, but I, I understand, I, man. I said it. I, I said it on Twitter. If you are an East Coast MMA media guy, and I will include you the, in this, Keith, you are doing God's work because you are up late yes and the, so, uh, the and the the people in europe we understand that you're you have it even worse we understand that but get on the same page with us it will help you and just imagine like i had two friends i had a party i had a bunch of people over. i had two friends who left early one of them left uh, one of them left really early but he's not a big he's not he, didn't care, he just came by and the other one left um <laughs> right after the donald Cerrone fight he was like man i'm out of here he, he didn't even watch the two type of fights yeah, and I remember, so, I, you know, obviously I'm from the East Coast, and I, I, I was stationed in South Carolina when I was in the military, and so I remember that that was, that was your night. Like, when I was single and we were all hanging out, if you watch a UFC fight, that was the night. I couldn't imagine being single on the East Coast now because there's so many UFC fights. If you're a UFC fan, like, when I was watching UFCs, it was one a month. So three, three weekends a month we'd go out drinking, and one, month, one weekend we'd watch a fight, and that was your night. Yeah. Now there's so many cards. I can't imagine. It's like when they talk about like, how could a young kid be like, if you're a young kid on the East coast, how are you going to be a fan of the NBA? Yeah. But you know, it's even worse if you, if you're older. So that's what the, if you're older and you have to go to work the next morning or you yeah. kids get up early. I mean, imagine if just imagine the fourth quarter of a basketball game of the fourth quarter of a football game starting at quarter one in the morning. Yeah. Give me a break. Dude, my son's, my son's six years old. He loves the NBA. He's not watched past the first quarter of any finals game since we've been on the East Coast. Because I'm like, dude, you're not staying up that late just to watch a game. I said, I'll DVR and we'll watch it in the morning. All right, let's do it before we let you go. Um, you touched on it earlier. Diego Sanchez versus Clay Guida selected for the fight wing of the UFC Hall of Fame. Uh, let's take away the fact that you prefer the Gilmore Melendez fight. Do you like this fight being yes. inducted? Oh, yeah, it's normal. Yeah, of course. So, uh, number two, Triple G last night knocked out Steve Rolls in the fourth round. I was at David Buster, so I can tell you that if you're watching both, it was uh, the Jan Rivera fight was going on the same time as the Triple G Rolls fight, and I was watching them both, and I was sitting there as a UFC guy saying, I'm so happy that people are sitting here watching such a great UFC fight contend with this boxing match, and it makes the UFC look better, and then Triple G knocked him dead, and I was like, oh, well, so and, th- and then the UFC countered the boxing main event by having three more fights after it. That way to go, UFC. Very smart. You know, the other thing that I thought was, it was an interesting move was that I think there was a boxing fight on ESPN or ESPN2. So it was oh. weird that, that you would have put a, another fight yeah. on. So if you're watching the prelims and the prelims stop, it's like, okay, I'm either going to choose to continue watching this or watch this free fight. So, all right. All right, last thing, uh, catch me up on the PFL. Chris Weidman. Hold on, Chris Weidman um, announced that he's going up to late heavyweight. That's right. What do you think about that? Who should he fight first? Luke Rockhold? (laughs) (laughs) They could have stayed at 85 for that, Keith. He should fight his buddy, uh, John Vellante. There you go. There you go. Do you think he's going to make – who do you think has better prospects at 205, Rockhold or Weidman? Rockhold. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think either one's going to – I mean, John Jones in the division. But uh, I, I think Rockhold has a little more going for him than Weidman at this point. I think they're, they're brought, they brought him up just to have names to throw at Jones. If the, if the, if the, if the guys that, that – you know, Dominic Reyes doesn't pan out or, or uh, Santos gets wiped out or uh, Johnny Walker doesn't pan out, at least they can say, well, we got Luke Rockhold. Yeah, so just for the record, it's got, I mean, we said who he should fight next. I mean, yeah, Nikita Karloff. How about that? There you go. All right, real quick. Shogun. Shogun. Match him against Shogun. Have fun, man. Match him against Shogun. <laughs> no, seriously, match him against Shogun. Yeah, do Weidman Shogun? Sure. That'd be a good one. Yeah, I think, I think if you're going to move guys' weight classes, have these fights that we never thought we could ever got, all these dream matchups. So, uh, yeah. All right, last but not least, catch me up on the PFL. How was last week? How's the season going so far? What are your thoughts? It's fun, man. It's, 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 it's really fun. I think there's a little bit too much Russians. Like they, they, they're counting on the uh, international talent a little bit too much. Um, the talent is great, but like the other day, I was at the show. There was 12 winners. One of them, English, was his first language out of 12. That's not, never good for media to get too excited about. Um, led to me getting a lot of exclusive one-on-one interviews, but – uh, yeah, the PFL is fun, man. It, it, if you're not watching, I mean, it's a Thursday night and you're not watching fights. Because what the hell else are you watching? You'd rather watch freaking <laughs> basketball or baseball. I mean, it's Thursday. Watch fights. There you go. All right, guys, Eric, there's another one in the books. Uh, Keith, tell folks what you're working on and where you can be followed in red. Okay, so my PFL previews are all over, but my newest thing is the Contender Series is coming. I'm going to be doing the preview predictions for sure, dog, where I'm going to go dig in just like I did the PFL. I'm going to dig deep. The only difference is I'm not going to just cover the fighters. I'm actually going to make prediction on who wins the matchup. So it's going to be a week by week, five matchups, and the first one should be coming out uh, by next week's episode. Now, are you picking the fights or are you picking who's going to get the contract as well? Uh, both. I'm going to oh, do both. both. So I'm going to pick who wins, and then I'm going to guess who gets a contract. All right. Sounds good. Follow that man and consume his content. He is one of the best in the game. As far as we go, uh, as far as I go, I've been on vacation here in Virginia Beach. Virginia Beach was raised and went to high school. Obviously, they've gone through a tragedy. If you want to help out and donate, you can text VA Beach to 41444. Again, VA Beach to 41444. Um, it's, it's been weird being here after a tragedy. I don't want to end on a bummer, but um, it's just been weird. So if you guys can donate, if you have the means or the funds or you can do anything, uh, go ahead and do that. All right. Don't forget, as always, to tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your friends' moms, tell your mom's friends about Sunday Morning Quarterman. Like, subscribe, and share all over the platforms. And in the words of the great Alexander Gustafson, the show is over, guys.